0: Hey, I'm Ferdinand, and thanks for checking out the message today. We're glad that you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text RIVERCONNECT to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Morning, everybody. If you got a Bible. Let's grab those together, open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Good to see you today. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you, you can take out your phone, and you can download a Bible app or the River Church app, and there's a Bible feature on there. Want to encourage you to be follow along and following along and seeing God's word for yourself. If you don't have a phone or a Bible, take your neighbors. Okay, uh, you can borrow from them. But glad to see you. Matthew chapter number six, and we're going to pick up in verse number nine in a moment. We are continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a sermon, a teaching that Jesus gave on an unknown mountainside uh, somewhere near the Sea of Galilee. And it is without question the greatest sermon ever spoken. And from time to time when I preach through this, I I think um, I, I wouldn't be offended at all if you just ignored me for the next 30 minutes and read the Sermon on the Mount because it is absolutely incredible what the Lord Jesus has to say. Jesus has warned us in chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So it's not that Jesus is saying righteousness is a completely private act. Jesus is not saying your Christian life is completely to be lived in privacy. He's saying, beware of doing things publicly with the goal of being seen of being observed, of gaining an audience. And so the first illustration Jesus gives in verse 2 down to verse number 4 is the act of giving, the act of generosity. If you're giving to be seen, well, then you've received your reward. You've forfeited your reward from God in heaven, but you've received uh, what you targeted. You've received your reward, the approval of people. And then Jesus uses a second illustration. In verse 5 down to verse 6, Jesus warns against praying in such a way to attract attention. Then in verse 7 and 8, Jesus warns against praying like the hypocrites or the, uh, the Gentiles do. They they say a bunch of words because they think that will eventually coax or convince God to listen to them. So in verse 9, Jesus teaches us how to pray. And we know that from the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter number 11, Jesus' teaching on prayer was prompted by a question from the disciples. They observed Jesus praying, and when Jesus finished praying, Luke records in Luke 11 1, he says, One of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so the Lord's prayer, as we see in Luke, Jesus says, and when He said to them, and He said to them, When you pray, pray like this, or say this. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, it's included in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So verse 9 begins this way: as Jesus is warned against praying a bunch of different repetitive, empty phrases, thinking that will impress a deity or God. Uh, don't pray in such a way to impress people. Uh, or to grab people's attentions, or to blow people's minds away with your vocabulary. Jesus says, when you pray, pray then like this. And he gives what is known as the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer. For many of us, we can recite most of, parts of, some could quote, all of the Lord's Prayer Maybe growing up in church or in catechism or Sunday school, that was a repetitive prayer that you prayed, or maybe that was something that was routinely said in your family. And uh, often it becomes, sadly, the very definition of Jesus' warnings in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. It becomes we're praying to be seen, or it becomes a prayer that is prayed without any sort of meaning, without any sort of heart, without any sort of thought. When, when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's not as if we just say words and our mind is disengaged. We are to be praying in such a way where our heart, soul, mind, and strength are engaged. The Lord's Prayer is meant to be prayed that way. As we'll get into in just a moment, the very first word of the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is our it's intended to be prayed together. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to stand, and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Now, um, warning here, we're going to read it out of the New King James Version. There are no thighs in there, okay? And so we're just going to pray the Lord's Prayer together, and... Um, Maybe this will be the first time you've collectively, uh, as the church, prayed the Lord's Prayer or read through the Lord's Prayer or thought through the Lord's Prayer. Maybe this will be the 10,000th time that you've prayed through it. But my hope is actually by doing it out of a different translation, we will engage our minds and and ask the Lord to engage our hearts as we pray this together. Now, notice we're not going to kneel. We're going to stand. And notice we're not going to close our eyes. They'll be opened. But that can still be prayer. Oftentimes, we think prayer is a specific posture of the body, or the eyes have to be closed, but we're going to pray this together, and then we're going to dive into it over the next two weeks and look at the Lord's Prayer. So let's just, as we think about this for just a moment, let's just pause, maybe read it quietly in our minds, and then we'll pray it together in just a moment. and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Let's get to the scripture here. Jesus says instead of praying empty, hollow words over and over again and praying in a sense with a performance, he says, pray like this. And he begins with these four words we have in English. Our Father in heaven." our Father in heaven. The word Father there is a shocking, startling word that Jesus uses. It was a common word. He uses, as multiple commentators point out, it was a common Aramaic word with which a child would address his father. It's the word Abba, A-B-B-A. It's less than a a formal greeting of father in in our English sense, and it's greater than our common uh, daddy type thing. And so people have tried to find the exact proper kind of English word. Some would say papa. Uh, There's different ways of thinking it. But when Jesus says, don't pray to impress people, and don't pray like the Gentiles do with repetitive phrases over and over again, he says, pray like this. And Jesus says, pray our Father. And I imagine there was probably a gasp in the audience because this was completely radical teaching. This was completely shocking. This was completely different. This was completely unheard of to address the God of the universe as Father. Now as we dive into this, I, I just want to pause and acknowledge that for many when we go through this passage of Scripture, there will be some, some struggle. There will be some, some hurt because maybe there is a deep father wound in your heart. Psalm 68, 5 is a verse that I would encourage you to just write down. David says of God, he is father of the fatherless And protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So maybe for you, when we speak, the scripture speaks of God as Father, uh, there is some deep pain because of some hurt, some abuse, some neglect caused by an earthly father in your life. I want you to know as we're going to see here in a moment, that God is the perfect Father. And He is patient and long-suffering. And the Bible speaks of God having a love that is an everlasting love. It is not a love that is performance-based. It is a love that is unconditional. And for some of you, I hope that the Holy Spirit of God will speak to your heart right now and let you know that you are unconditionally loved by God because of Christ. That you'll just rest in that. That you will just find peace in that in this moment. But Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. It's a completely radical, completely new, completely different way then the original audience would have thought Jesus would begin his prayers. To speak, of, to, speak to God would have been, um, we'll speak to God in in a, uh, a, a as God being sovereign or God being in control or God being the ruler or creator of the universe. And he is those things. The Jews would often stay away from the covenant name of God, uh, Jehovah. And so they would invent different names to try to Try to just grasp and try to approach God with a certain level of respect. One commentator, very famous, uh, his name is Packer, he says, Father is the Christian name for God. Now, this is different than the idea of God being the creator of all people, in the sense that some would say, you know, we're all God's offspring or we're all God's children. But that is not the spiritual condition that the Bible paints. I want you to hold your spot in Matthew and go to the right very quickly to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. Here's the spiritual condition of every person born into the world. Ephesians chapter number two in verse one. The apostle Paul is writing here. The Holy Spirit of God is speaking through him. And Paul says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked So rather than being children of God, the Bible here describes us as children of wrath. And it paints this, this word picture of, of a path that we are following. And we are following the course of this world. And the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, is kind of the, the Pied Piper leading the crowd, leading the parade down this path. Inside is the spirit among us and we're doing whatever our body wants to do, whatever our mind wants to do. We're carried along by those desires, and then it has a destructive power in our life. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So it's not as if some of mankind is this. All of mankind is this, children of wrath, leading to destruction. Verse four says, but but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So when we're born into this world, believe it or not, we're born wretched sinners. We're we're born enemies of God. We're born children of wrath. Jesus would go so far in the Gospel of John to say children of the devil. Now, I just want to pause here because the day and age in which we live in, this is, in my opinion, this is the dividing line of true Christian biblical worldview, how you view the world, versus a, the humanistic worldview in which we live in, which is so prominent. This is the dividing line. Humanism would say, deep down inside, every single person is Good. Deep down inside, every person given the right environment, given the right education, given the right resources, is deep down inside, they would produce good. That's the humanistic idea, and so it's this longing, we know from a biblical worldview, it's a longing for what was lost in the Garden of Eden, perfection, perfection. Harmony with humanity and fellowship with God what was lost and so the humanist says well deep down inside of us We can achieve that if we put people in the right scenarios The biblical worldview says no That every person is made in the image of God Yes, and every person bears the imago day, that they're stamped by their creator made in the image of God But we are by nature and by choice Sinners Verse four says, but God. Now go to the left and just go to the gospel of John. John chapter one. Magnificent intro to John's gospel. John chapter one in verse 12. John chapter one and verse 12, and I'm sorry, I'm moving quickly here. Just for the record, tech team, you turned off the timer, so I have no idea how long I'm going. So when this is two hours, it's their fault, everybody, okay? <laughs> you may want to turn that back on for me. Verse 12, John 1, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. I want you to see this this is believe receive and then become no one is born a child of god just from the womb it's believing it is receiving and then it is becoming and that is a gift from god he gave the right to become the children of god verse 13 who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god and so when jesus begins His prayer by saying when you approach God begin this way our father in heaven this was shocking and a whole new way of understanding things because it was what Jesus was inaugurating it's what Jesus was bringing into the world Jesus was bridging between sinful mankind and a holy God Rebellious children and a loving father who was reconciling that broken relationship was Jesus Christ on the cross. So he comes and he pays the penalty for our sins and Jesus rises from the dead and Jesus gives us the right to become again the children of God. That's why we call it a new birth. That's why we call it to be born again. Go from John and go to the right a little bit to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number eight. Paul celebrates this truth in a couple different passages, one in Romans and one later on in Galatians. We'll look at Romans. Romans chapter number eight and verse 14 Scripture says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So sons and daughters. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There it is, that common name that a child would would address a father with We cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified by him. So this is a a startling truth. Go back to Matthew chapter number 6. While you're turning there, I'll read Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Just jot it down in your notes. Paul says in Galatians, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So this is beautiful here. I want you to see this. God so loved the world. Maybe you know this passage that he gave his only begotten son. The moment Jesus was baptized, Matthew describes it, the clouds opened up, the spirit of God descends like a dove and the audible voice of God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So who's the the son? You have the, the father and you have the son. And what does the Son of God do? The Son of God bridges the gap between a holy, heavenly Father and rebellious children who have turned our noses at God's goodness. We've sinned against God and so we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by decision. But because of the cross that bridges these two, here is just a profound truth that makes this prayer and all prayer possible is that Jesus bridges that and now we share in the sonship of Christ. His father becomes our father. So What is prayer? Prayer is not, I'm just going to throw something up there and hope God hears it. Prayer is speaking to God, and I want you to hear this. Prayer is exclusively, exclusively for people who can say, my Father in heaven. It's not as if everybody gets to throw up prayers and God's like, okay, I'll listen to that one and I'll listen to that one. Prayer is an exclusive privilege for those who know Jesus Christ. It's exclusive. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, I want you to pray like this. I want you to understand what prayer is. It is speaking to your Father. Look at Matthew chapter six because I think this is the key to understanding all of this chapter and this idea of Father is the way that we understand entirely the Lord's Prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 45. I just want you to see this. And we're going to rapid fire through these, these couple columns. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father. Who is in heaven. Look at verse number 48, same chapter. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 6 1. You will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Look at verse number 4. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Chapter 6, verse number 6, same phrase, your Father who is in secret. Chapter 6, verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows. Verse number 9, our Father. Verse number 14, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, we see, neither will your Father in heaven. Verse number 18, That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in heaven. Verse number 26. Your Heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. So, what does this all come back to? The Father. And this is the question that every person sitting in here, every person watching online has to answer. Is God your father? Not just your creator, because he's the creator of all people. But is he your father? Have you been reconciled to your heavenly father through the work of Christ? Not by your work, not by your action, not by your effort, but by what Christ has done. The only way we're able, able to be restored in a right relationship with our Heavenly Father is through the Son that the Heavenly Father sent, who is a perfect Son. We're the rebellious children. He's the perfect Son. He goes to the cross. He pays the penalty for our sin, not His sin, but the sins of the rebels. He dies. He rises from the dead. And now He says, listen, if you'll believe on me, John says it in verse chapter 1, verse 12, if you'll believe on me and receive me, I will give you you the right to become children of God. Has there been that moment in your life, as Galatians talks about, as Romans talks about, where you have been adopted into the family of God? That moment where you went from being a child of wrath to a child of the king? That's what the gospel is. That's what salvation is. And that is the foundation of relationship. That's the foundation of... Of prayer. So back to verse number nine. Our Father in heaven. Multiple commentators pointed out um, so we don't turn God into the heavenly teddy bear, we must remember that He's in heaven. He sits on the throne, ruling and reigning over every square inch of the universe. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and you should jot this down in your notes. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So we see Father, but we must remember that our heavenly Father is in heaven one writer said, so what this balances is, is we remember that God is as compassionate as he is capable. He's compassionate, he's our heavenly Father. He is capable, he's in heaven. He's on the throne. He's ruling and reigning the universe. First Peter 5 7 says, We cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence come to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and help in time of trouble. So our heavenly father is not just caring, but he's capable. Our heavenly father sits on the throne. But look at that first word of the Lord's prayer, the model prayer. It's plural. It's our our Father in heaven. One writer that I read a couple weeks ago, just super blessed by him, he said, prayer begins with embracing not just a relationship, but relationships. These two words remind us that we are both children of God and siblings to each other. Jump back in Matthew chapter five. This is not in my notes Matthew chapter number five. Verse number 23. This is, this is about anger with fellow believers. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What's the scripture you're talking about? It's talking about making sure relationships with people are right Because that's going to have a real effect on your prayer life. That's why the prayer doesn't begin, my father. Now, he is your father. But that's why the model prayer begins with our father in heaven. It's a relationship thing. It's knowing I've been adopted into the family of God through Christ And if you're here and you've repented of your sins and believe in Jesus, so have you. So what does this do? Man, this this crushes praying with an ego. This crushes, hey God, just want to stop by and tell you how awesome I am and how terrible so-and-so is. It, It crushes all of that. So what does prayer become? God, I'm thankful that you've adopted me, but I'm also thankful for the, the, the people that you've adopted as well. The body of Christ. I, I was texting with a friend this morning and he, he was preaching over in England and he sent me a picture of the church gathered and it was just awesome to see how multiracial the room was. And I thought, there are believers on the other side of the world that are meeting right now that what are we praying collectively? We're praying our Father in heaven. And then in in Revelation, as we studied this last summer, you see the assembly of the family of God, and it's from every nation and tribe and language, it's it's these people coming together who have been reconciled through the work of God because of Christ on the cross, the rebel has been reconciled to the Heavenly Father. So we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed. Be your name. A hollowed is not a word that we often use anymore. One writer points out that the root means to set apart as holy, to consider holy, to treat as holy. We would sometimes use the word reverence. Reverence. So we pray this way Our Father in heaven. Well, we can only pray that if we've been reconciled to God. So what are we remembering in this first line of the prayer? We're remembering our reconciliation to our Heavenly Father through the work of Christ. And we're remembering it's not just us, but it's the family of God. So our Father, you are caring. And as the writer said, you are capable, so you're in heaven you're above and beyond but you are above and beyond my circumstances but you're near to my circumstances because you love me as a caring father our father in heaven hallowed be your name in this culture in which jesus was speaking names were very important names were synonymous with character. So we we often choose names uh, differently in in our culture. I remember when my wife and I were trying to name our kids, the meanings of names were really great, so there were some names that we liked, and then we looked up the meaning and said, "Uh, nope, can't name them that. Uh, Condemn them to a life of that or whatever it might be. And so we we really thought and prayed hard about what we are naming our children. When the Bible says here, hallowed or set apart as holy or treated as holy is the name of God. That's part of the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Well, I want you to think about this from the father perspective because I think it all springs from there. What does a father do? A father gives his name to his children and pass on the name what is the prayer here? The prayer is God, beginning in my life, may your name be held up as holy. In my life, God, may your, your name be held up with reverence. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, Peter says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. I've known the second part of the verse for many years, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that was in you, but, but do so with gentleness and respect. Where does gentleness and respect to people begin with? Where does making a defense for the hope that is within us begin with? It begins in our hearts as honoring the Lord as holy. Simple illustration. Do we take the Lord's name in vain? Or is the name of God, is the name of Christ something that is held up holy in our life and in our home? How about the way we live? I mean, we just sang some of the most beautiful songs written throughout the history of the last few hundred years of of the church. Holy, holy, holy. Like, it was hard for me to sing that with a guitar. It needed to be a pipe organ and much slower. But that song, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, can, do, do we sing that here collectively, which I think is beautiful and wonderful and we should do because what, what we're doing, and if you're here and you don't know Christ, let's say you're sitting here, you're not a Christian, and you're like, oh, this is really interesting. They're singing this song. What's, what you're observing, what you're seeing is God's people lifting up the name and saying, hallowed be your name. We're exalting your name. We're not exalting this guy's name or this church name or this denomination. We're exalting, lifting up the name of Jesus. We're dealing with reverence with that. And so we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We, so we, we lift that life up. But then when we leave this place, do we do that? Or is the name of Jesus disparaged around us? Because if he is our heavenly father, he has given us his name. He has sealed us with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so we leave here carrying the name of Christ with us. That's why you see throughout the New Testament the warning, live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Not a a perfect life because we're fallen, sinful people. But live a life that is seeking to exalt Jesus' name and saying, I treat the Lord with reverence. I treat his name with reverence. How about even the scripture? I treat the scripture with reverence because it is God's word. It is what God has said. It's God's message to the world. I I treat that with reverence. Hallowed be your name. The name of God is holy, but we're meant to live in such a way that reflects that. It begins with Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Notice the first part of the prayer begins by aligning the prayer's heart to the Lord. Notice that. Sometimes I, I think we treat prayer like Aladdin's lamp. <clears throat> i got to pray a little bit. I'm in trouble. <clears throat> hey, Lord, I know I'm down to two wishes. This is a big deal. This is not like that last one. This is a really big one and I really need you to show up. Thanks a lot. I'll see you later. And you know what? I'll try to be good. So it's this uh, quid pro quo, something for something. I'll do this. God will do this. And we just got this real good exchange going on. I don't do those things anymore. I don't go those places. I don't say those words anymore. And God shows up. It's fabulous. And then what we do is in self-righteousness, we look at other people and go, well, if you'd stop doing that, then God would show up in your life like this. the beginning of the prayer aligns us and prepares us to ask for the right things. Next week, we'll look at verse 11, 12, and 13, which is give us this day our daily bread. So physical needs, like we have needs in life. Spiritual needs. And Lord, uh, I need your direction and your help in my life. We ask for things, There's nothing wrong with asking God for things, but how much of our prayers are dominated completely by going to God with a Santa wish list? There's nothing wrong with asking God for lots of things. That's not what the Bible is speaking against here. But what do we do? It begins with our Father in heaven. Oh gosh, i got to remember that God is not my little genie that popped out of this bottle that I can ask him for whatever I want. No, nope, no, nope, you are in heaven I'm here on earth, and I need to take my life and align it with yours. I want my life to exalt the name of God, hallowed be your name. And then here it is, Lord, I'm aligned with you. Your kingdom come. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about this particular line in the passage. When we pray thy kingdom come, we are praying for the success of the gospel, It's sway and power. We are praying for the conversion of men and women. Thy kingdom come is an all inclusive missionary prayer. How many times do we come to the Lord and we pray, can my kingdom come a little bit? Can I have what I want? James says it this way about prayer: you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Well, I asked God for that. He didn't show up, He didn't give me what I wanted. And the reason the Bible gives the answer we, we don't have those things is because we're asking not for God's kingdom to come, but for our kingdom to come. Not for God's will to be done, but our will to be done. And so prayer has this completely inverse relationship. Hey, God, you're responsible for making my kingdom grow. This is why the prosperity gospel is so disgusting. Hey, God, you're responsible to make my kingdom grow. And hey, God, I need you to bend your will to my will. Thanks a lot. I'll see you later. Rather than, Lord, you are my father. You've made me, you've reconciled the rebel to you through the work of Christ, and you're in heaven. I'm here on earth. I live a broken life. I want your name to be hallowed, and Lord, I have a will that is in conflict with your will, and so, Lord, I... Pray for your kingdom to come. I want your kingdom. I want the gospel to advance in this world. I want your kingdom to come, and I want your will to be done on earth, in my life, starting with me, in my home, in my church, in my town, and my country. I want your will to be done, so start with me, Lord. Man, it's completely different than how we often pray, but it begins with the Lord's holiness. It begins with... We would say it this way, our Father's holiness, our Father's kingdom, and our Father's will. That's what we pray for. I want to take you to a prayer and just close with this. I want you to go to the last page of the Bible before you get to maps, indexes, Weights and measurements. Revelation twenty two. John is concluding the scripture. He says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. That's what Jesus says. John agrees with that. That's what the word amen means. So be it, I agree, I affirm. And then look at the three word, at least in English, the three word prayer here. Come, Lord Jesus. There are a couple prayers in the Bible that really challenge me one is in Psalm 139 where the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. That, that, that scares me to pray. Search me, O God, and know me. Try me, see if there's any wicked way in me. But another prayer that the church, the people of God are meant to be praying is is for his kingdom to come. What does that mean? Right now, his kingdom is invisible. It's in us. But one day, the kingdom that is invisible will be made visible. And the king of kings and the Lord of lords will descend from heaven with a great shout. And all that is wrong will be made right. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom's of Christ what do we pray come Lord Jesus but we live such a blessed life that we're like well things are pretty good here I guess if the Lord came that'd be alright instead of aligning our hearts and realizing that the prayer of believers is thy kingdom come The advancement of the gospel. But one day, Lord, I am longing. May Make it today. If not today, then tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, then the next day. Come, Lord Jesus. We long to see your kingdom that is invisible in us be made visible. That's the Lord's prayer. So maybe you prayed in the New King James. Or maybe you're learning it in the ESV. Or maybe you know it in the King James. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A praying heart begins father focused, and it aligns our hearts, it changes our desires. What's the psalmist say? Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. In a few weeks, we'll preach this at the end of Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. So what do we do? We align our hearts with who the Lord is. Let's pray together.